Palm Sunday, uh, all four Gospels talk about it. We're going to look at part of Mark's, the mostly the psalm that it comes from. When we look at this, uh, when you go through Holy Week, these texts uh, kind of come alive. Um, 35 to 40 percent of the Gospels are the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, so obviously quite important, and that's where we get a lot of our doctrine and, and theology. So uh, going to follow along Mark 11. Uh, Jesus has come in. Um, they had got the colt. There's some information about that before that. And then they bring the colt to Jesus and they throw their cloaks on it. And he, seats, he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches and they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he comes in to this, uh, well, as one of the kids said, parade. I think that was pretty good uh, with, the, with the branches. And, you know, why cloaks and branches? Um, I don't, we don't do that much. Uh, this is a... An old, ancient way of, of essentially putting out the red carpet. Uh, if you go back into Second Kings, when Jehu uh, was anointed as king, that when he come into the city, they they did the same. They throw their cloaks and they do the do the palm branch thing. So that, that was nine hundred years before this. So um, this was the way they did it. You know, you probably see that sometimes in in our day and age. You get somebody in the airport and they put the red carpet out for royalty. This is kind of they didn't have red carpet. They had branches and coats, I guess, is the way they did it. I always wondered if they threw candy. You know, that's why we go to parades, right? For the, But they, you see, the, sometimes we, we think about the people during Jesus' time that all of them just didn't understand and, and were uh, in the darkness. And um, that's not really true. I mean, they maybe didn't understand everything, but there was a, there's something in the water back then. Uh, there was an expectation uh, of uh, God sending something. And, and these people, a lot of them knew their Bible, and I think we can see that from here. The, what they're singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king who comes from the line of David. They're getting this. This is a messianic psalm, and you're welcome to turn to Psalm 118. This is where this comes from. Uh, it's a really interesting psalm. There's, there's verses that we use uh, but if you kind of look at it in context, um, you know, it, it starts out with the deeds of the Lord and salvation, but then it kind of hits pointedly when you get to verse 19. And this is probably, if you can think about this as we read it, it's probably what they're thinking of when they're doing this. Because um, I don't know if you knew it, the New Testament hadn't been written yet this time. It's, they're always looking at the old. Um, Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So when we read that, we, we read that and you can put that on the email or a text to somebody in the morning, that's good, I don't think, but that's not really what it's talking about. It's not talking about any day. It's talking about the day the Messiah comes. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. He's going to come 
when it's his time. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's exactly what they're reciting. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So this is probably what they're singing. They're probably singing it. You want me to try to sing it? Um, nobody. All right. <laughs> you know, most of this was probably put to music. We have, we have the text. We don't have the music. Um, a lot of it is. We've already sung some songs that are taking pieces of this uh, psalm. But verses 25 and 26 is what's being quoted here by the people. Uh, this was a messianic psalm, and it did come when Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were getting started. So it points to God's covenant with David because they say, blessed is he, the son of David, the line of David. That's, they knew it. That was the Davidic covenant. They knew of that. That, the, that in 2 Samuel 7, you have God come to David and say, I'm going to build my house through you because he was talking about building the temple, and they said, he said, no, you're not doing that. Your son will do that. But when it comes to your lineage, there's going to become one from you. So you had to be from David. We hit that during Christmas, really. We want to make sure he's from the line of David. Matthew's really worried about that with the lineage in the first chapter. But you look at verses uh, 18 or 19 through 21. You know, it talks of the gate. Uh, this is the gate to salvation. And in the background, you, you see Jesus, I think, you know, in, in John 10, when he says, I, I am the gate. Those who came in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pasture. That's almost exactly what this psalm is saying. In the background, he's making, it's one of the I am statements. You know, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the one that Psalm 18 is talking about is kind of what Jesus uh, is saying here. And it clearly says this is the Lord's doing. Uh, this is the, and that maybe is a little bit of the problem with the people or at least the leadership. But this portion that they're saying, save us, we pray, O Lord. You know, it, it talks about blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, what is it? We, we, we say that a lot. What does that mean? Is it like a little sticker that says, hello, my name is Jesus? You know, it, the name of the Lord, what is that with the power and authority of Adonai? That's, what, that's what's going on here. Name in the Bible is not just a token of what we call somebody. It has a deep meaning. If you know the name, you think about when Moses was on the mountain at the burning bush, you know, the, the bush, <laughs> God in the bush tells him that, you know, you need to go to Egypt and get my people out. And he, he's like, well, who, who can I tell them is sending me? He's essentially saying, what is your name? And that's the first time we get Yahweh. That's the first time, it, which means I will be what I will be. I am what I am. It's a really interesting existence word in Hebrew. Um, so name, when they say blessed is he who comes in the name, blessed who is he who comes in the power and the authority of Yahweh of Adonai. So, and then it talks about, you know, coming to the house, to the temple. Anytime you see house in the Psalms, it's probably the temple. Um, and, or the tabernacle. 
But think about that. We had that at the welcome. What's he do during that Holy Week? He, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's making him the center of it. And they say, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You're seeing all these things pointing to the Messiah, to, to Jesus. Um, and then, then it gets, and this is interesting, I think, when you read this. It's, it kind of sits there, but it says, it talks about the festival sacrifice, binding with cords. So you get this reference with the joy of an old covenant sacrifice that gives temporary peace. But it's in within this messianic thing, you know. Have you ever thought about this? I don't know if you have. I have, so you're going to have to hear about it because I have the mic. But uh, why did God not just tell us what was going to happen? Why, didn't, why don't we just have a book, you know, maybe Isaiah 67, I don't know, a chapter. There is no 67. But, um, that says, you know, around, well, they're going to have to use the Jewish calendar. Uh, you know, this year... Messiah is going to come, going to be born in Bethlehem. It's going to be really cool. And then he's going to grow up in Nazareth and get straight A's or whatever. And then he's going to start his ministry. And people, some people are going to listen to him, some people aren't, and eventually they're going to kill him. I mean, why, why not just be, why, what are we beating around the bush for here? Why does it seem like it's in, you kind of got to read through it? Well, I think Jesus answers, and we had this when we went through Matthew, you know, they ask him, why do you speak in parables? Remember what he said? Because you guys are stupid. No, he didn't say that. Kind of what he said. He said it nicer. He said, in seeing, those who want to see will see, and those who do not want to see will be in darkness. It seems like this is this way that, and I, I suppose that's happened to you. I mean, when you, you're reading through the Bible and something just like, wow, this is really cool. It's been there for all these years, but now I see it. There's something spiritual going on there. I think that's why, that's what Jesus says. If you're really seeking me, you'll find me. And some of this stuff will start to make sense. When we look at this, and you have to do that, I think, as a Christian. You have to look at the Old Testament through the prism of the cross. I think we're supposed to. And then when you read this, you know, bind the festival sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Why in the world is he talking about a sacrifice in the middle of the coming of the Messiah? It's interesting. It's, it's a little hard, but if you start, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because all of the sacrifices up to this point were temporary. We see this in Hebrews 10. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never read permanently, take away sins. You had to keep doing it. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. So you understand that he comes in the name in the, of the Lord in authority at this time, but I think it would have been hard. I always wonder that. I don't know if you do that, but uh, if you watch movies or you watch the Chosen series, you always think, what would I have done if I was Peter? I certainly wouldn't have been stupid enough to deny him, right? I certainly would have understood better. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, but it kind of gets us into, you know, how much did they understand? And we, we, and we sometimes look back, and it's like they don't have the New Testament yet. But if their heart is for him... 
one of the best lines in the Bible, I think, for helping us is in John 6 when, you know, Jesus had gave some tough teaching and a lot of people leave. You know, I could just see the coordinator of the event saying, Jesus, we got 200 people and you, 180 just left. You got to speak good stuff. You know, but he's speaking truth. And he looks at his disciples, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, no. You have the words of eternal life. It, kind of implying, I really don't know what you're talking about either. But there's something about you. I'm going to keep on. You know, and eventually he does figure it out. The change does fall on the meter for him. So the triumphal entry, we, we praise it at the beginning of, of Passover week. It, it's supposed to be that way. It's this week is a Passover. There's lots of people around. And what, what was this for? It was recalling the Jewish people's liberation from Egyptian slavery. You know, save us. Because what, what do they want? They want salvation. In what way? And we've sung this a lot. Um, Hosanna. We say that a lot, don't we? Um, probably better said Hoshana is probably the way it should be pronounced, but, you know, whatever. Hosha is to save, uh, to deliver. Uh, and, and na is we pray or now. So I always like to say, na, 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 na. Hey, hey. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, we could put that in there. That kind of works, doesn't it? Uh, that's, a, that's a good movie, Remember the Titans. Yeah, that's a good song. But save us, we pray. In fact, you see that, that Hosha, if you think of the word, the, the, the word Yeshua. You, you remember back at Christmas time, the angel comes to Matthew and says, and you're to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. It's like... All right. Well, because Jesus is a is a transliterated form of Joshua, or Yeshua, and Yosh the the Yaho there is short for Yahweh, and Hosha is save. Yahweh saves. That's what his name means. Um, so Hosanna is save us. We pray, save us now. However you want to put it, I think probably that we pray makes more sense. So when you say that, you're and it's just transliterated into Greek and then into English. Hosanna. It's a good word. Um, that's the, what about hallelujah? You know what that one means? It means he caught the pass. No, no, it means hallelujah. You know, it, it's, it's the, the idea of praising Yah. There's no huh, there's no ja in the, in the Hebrew language. No, no ja, hard ja sound like Jesus. Everything's like Yeshua uh, or Yahshua. Um, so it's just, it's praise Yahweh. That's what hallelujah. So when you sing that, you're saying praise God, praise God. Um, that's what hallelujah means. So when they're saying hosanna, they're saying save us. They, they, what do they want saved from? Isn't that always the question? The pilgrims now that have come, not the ones on the Mayflower, but the ones coming to Passover in around 30 A.D., that's kind of the way we date this, they anticipate the messianic liberation from Rome's oppression. That's why th they're, they're looking at what God did to Egypt. You think about that. Wouldn't that have been cool if he'd have done the ten plaguey thing into Rome? That's an interesting thing. Um, but what we find out, and that's what people maybe missed, it was not going to be that Rome was defeated at that time, but Satan, sin, and death, which God thought was more important. Rome kind of fell on its own eventually because of its own moral ineptitude and 
weakness eventually. So saved, save us, we pray. It's, it's always a question, you know, a contemporary Christian question. And if you ever want to get somebody to, to shut up on an airplane, just ask them, are you saved? And the rest of the flight will be quiet, mostly. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but what's the, what's the question? If somebody asks me if I'm saved, I'm going to say, from what? You know, and that's the question here. Save us, we pray, but what are they looking for? What do they want to be saved from? Well, in the first century, Jewish ideas, it was from the enemies, and that comes from the Psalms. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. So it's in there. There's a temporal thing. Um, I don't know, if you're a re Ukrainian Christian, do you, praise, you pray for salvation from your foes? I would. I mean, I, whether God wants to answer, it's kind of up to Him, but I would pray for it. From foreign oppression, you see that in Jeremiah, and it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will break His yoke from off your neck. He's talking about Babylon getting, well, defeated, essentially, by Persia. And I will burst your bonds, and the foreigners shall no more make servants of them. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, who I will raise up for them. Mm, that's interesting. kind of forgot that was in there. David's been dead for a while, so that's obviously a metaphor for the Messiah coming. Yeah, I could read that further. Uh, and you know, you can, uh, this is complete aside, but uh, you can read a whole book of the Bible while watching a baseball game. Baseball's perfect for study. I think that's why God invented it. I mean, I like playing it. I like watching it, but there's, I think I read there's 27 minutes of action in every baseball game. So that'll give you about two and a half hours to do whatever you want. <laughs> it's kind of cool. Um, so people say, well, baseball's too slow. It's slow for a reason. So you can read your Bible. <laughs> so temporal deliverance is part of the old covenant, but that's not all. You got some wonderful version. We know Psalm 23, right? He restores my soul. You know, why is that such a cool psalm at, a, at the graveside? Because it's the main thing. He restores my soul. This is in the Old Testament, folks. The good shepherd, you know. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's that name thing again. Uh, and then in Psalm 116, then I called on the name of the Lord. If you see capitals, it's, that's Yahweh. Oh, Yahweh, I pray, deliver my soul. And Jesus hits this all the time, but it's in the Old Testament. But unfortunately, at the time of Jesus, and we know this from a lot of outside documents, some rabbinic literature, the prevalent theology of the Jewish leadership was land. Let's get control of our own land, then we'll pursue righteousness. You know, it's the one of these days theology, right? One of these days I'm going to go to church. One of these days I'm going to serve in the church, you know. One of these days I'm going to clean up that garage, one of these days, we'll pursue righteousness, but right now we've got to get rid of these Romans. And that's kind of what they wanted to do. And that was the idea that the Messiah was going to come. And you know what? He will. This is the hard part, getting kind of back to that cloaked way that, G that God did it. Who, you read it close, you can see it, especially if you read start in Isaiah 40 and go all the way through 66. But you might need a double header for that, uh, but I think you can do it. I look at you, I think you can do it. 
But you, you get that first coming, second coming, and it's a little hard. Uh, you get the suffering servant of Isaiah 52, 53, and then you get the new heaven and the new earth of, of 65 and 66. So you got a first coming and a second coming there too. Jesus' first coming for grace and salvation, second coming for judgment and renewal. And you can kind of see, Isaiah is probably the best place to see it. So in 21st century America Christian ideas, what does Jesus save us from? You know, we, we should know this, but, you know, some people will say economic problems, you know. And I'm not saying he couldn't, uh, but is that the main thing? You know, that would be the wealth part of the health and wealth gospel, right? Health problems, that would be the health part. Uh, and again, that does not mean that there's anything wrong with praying for help in this and, and looking for help within the church and friends and all that and trying to make good decisions and going to doctors and praying. And we do find times when uh, we probably all have stories uh, um, or accounts where uh, either with health or wealth that things happen that it's kind of hard to explain how that worked. And we give thanks to God for that. But that's not the main thing, right? Well, what about lack of personal fulfillment? Come to Jesus and you'll find your purpose. I already know your purpose. It's not hard. I mean, it's throughout the pages of the Bible. You know, love God and love others. Is that that hard? There's your purpose. Uh, be obedient to God and treat other people like you know Jesus. So lack of personal fulfillment is probably because we're not focused right. Bad relationships. And God can help with that. But I've noticed that relationships have two people, and sometimes the one person wants to have a good relationship, the other one has the bad don't work out. <laughs> Our relationship with God is always, He's always willing. He's always loving. Makes it much easier. Um, maybe that's why that's the first commandment. I don't know. Bad habits. And I, again, that can be helpful. In fact, we've, I mean, there, there was a, about 10 years ago, there was the Jesus diet. I wonder if it was kosher. Probably. <laughs> You know, you eat like Jesus and you can lose weight. I think if you ate like anybody back then, you'd probably lose weight. I've been over there. All they eat is that goop. That garbanzo bean, what do they call it? Hummus. Which is good for the first 16 meals, but after that, I'm like, dude, got any steak? Um, <laughs> but again, there was the Jesus diet. You know, you follow Jesus, you can be in all this. You know, and again, that's fine. And then... The other one that's out there, and it's out there a lot, that if we're faithful, we won't suffer. Jesus saves us from suffering by suffering. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, how did, uh, uh, what was it, uh, Chesterton put it? He's like, why do we think we won't suffer? They killed our leader, remember? <laughs> So Christ has promised to be with us. That's one thing that we have uh, to help us through these things. And he may sometimes sovereignly choose to solve these problems for us. And I think we give thanks when that happens. But this is not the promise nor the main point. It never was. You know, Jesus at the end of the uh, chapter 16 in John, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Or maybe this would have been a good thing to say. This is a little earlier in Mark than the triumphal entry, but he could have said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
You know, you can get all these things, all six, and still not have eternal life. Uh, it's a problem, isn't it? What's the core? So what does the New Testament say we're saved from? Well, three main things, I think. You all know John 3.16. Well, if you don't, look it up. That only take like one batter. I mean, take long to read that. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Now, this is everlasting spiritual death because, you know, we all perish the other way. We see that in Genesis 2. You can eat of any tree you want, except do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely, what is the word? Die. You have to say it that way, die. But what happened when they ate it? I remember, you remember Snow White? What happened when she ate the apple? I mean, instantaneous. Uh, that didn't happen to them, did it? What happened when they ate the apple? Yeah, they saw that they were naked. Ooh. There was a problem. Something changed in their continence. But they lived a long time, Genesis 4, Genesis 5. They lived a long time. This was, this was spiritual death is what they were he was talking about. It's obviously clear. Physical death came later. Uh, so what are we saved from? From everlasting spiritual death. Does that mean we cease to exist? No, it means that do you get to be with God as you were created to be or be away from him. Uh, we see this in Revelation with the, the metaphor of the book of life, which you see in other places. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, and, you know, people have argued about whether this is metaphoric or not. Um, I don't say this very often, but I don't really care. It's not good. This is not where you want to be. And First Thessalonians, or Second Thessalonians, chapter one gives us a real good metaphor—not metaphor, definition of what this is talking about. Those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. Oh, what does that mean, Paul? Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. This is what we're saved from, and nobody in this world has experienced this. The worst atheist still hasn't experienced this yet in their life. Because we've seen that common grace, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun still rises whether you curse God or bless him. Not so when you get to this point. I don't know what it's going to be like. I would try to avoid. And it really comes down to, do, do we think it's real? Isn't that it? I mean, do we think this is real? Because you, you have that out there, that God's loving. I agree. Well, God, a loving God would never send somebody to hell. It's like, well, you can make that logical, but is that what Jesus said? Then why the cross? Seems like a lot of wasted effort. Seems like there's something more there, because that's the second thing, God's wrath. We don't like to talk. What is his wrath? It's a permanent attitude of the holy and just God when confronted by sin and evil. I say permanent. This is with the permanent solution. Right now, you've heard people say this is kind of a pastorism. I'm not real fond of it. God cannot tolerate evil. If that's true, we're all gone. I mean, obviously you can tolerate it. 
but not, he's not going to tolerate it forever. This is what this says. I mean, the fact that we don't all blow up when we wake up is grace. That's what we have to think. He can tolerate whatever he wants, but eventually that's going to be gone. The fact that it's not is by his grace. So his wrath is not some fitful, wayward, erratic human anger. It's not what he's talking about. It's his settled response to sin and evil. He is holy. We see a little bit of that when you get to, like, Isaiah's throne room. If you read Ezekiel, the first two chapters, which only take you an inning. I mean, you're going to get a lot in today. There's a lot of games on. Um, you, can, you can see that. You can see the way this comes in. His, his anger is not emotional. It's a response. It's good, right? I always think it's funny when atheists, they'll say, well, God wiped out, you know, had the Israelites wipe out a whole group of people. And then, on the other hand, why did God allow all those people to do all those bad things? Well, which one do you want? Do you want him to allow bad people to do bad things, or do you want to wipe them out? He wipes him out, get rid of the evil, and we get mad at him. He lets them, doesn't wipe them out, lets the evil go, and we get mad at him. To quote the not-so-good philosopher Bart Simpson, he's darned if he does and darned if he doesn't, and I did rephrase that. I mean, no matter what God does, we don't like it. You know, it's like, but you see that, a little bit of that, like in, when in Ezekiel and Isaiah where he's, you know, what happens that they, they like, get me out of here. You're seeing a little bit of that holiness. And, the old, the f- you know, you get that coal that comes and gets on Isaiah's lips. That's the only thing that keeps him from blowing up, you know. Remember Moses, let me see your glory. What's he say? You, you can't even, even my after effects I'm going to have to hide you from. You know, in John 1, no one has ever seen God in his full glory, but God, the one and only, his only son has made him known. Um, do we think, I guess we'll find out on Saturday. You think Jesus glowed? You think he was like a good nightlight? Could we tell that he was, that he had that little thing around his head, the halo? I mean, he looked like everybody else, didn't he? He cloaked himself. If he didn't, we wouldn't, nobody would be able to, we see a little bit of that, remember when he goes up on the mountain with the three disciples and he's, what is that, remember that transfigured? You can get a little bit of that and they're kind of like, ooh. We just get a little, we get enough. So with fallen human nature, you can read this in Ephesians 2 if you want. It says, we are by nature children of wrath, meaning by nature, all things being equal, people's destination is eternal destruction. You see this in John 3.18. You know, 3.16, this is how God showed his love for us. He gave his only son, whoever believes, will not perish eternally, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but over that may be saved through him. That's 17. Then 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Good news. In fact, it's the main part of the good news. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is what he came for. And it's not, I know people who say, well, God couldn't, I don't see God do this. This person was a good person. I don't know. I'll let him take care of it. But what are we supposed to do? 
you know, believe on ourselves. That's the main thing. And be ready if somebody asks us. I think that's what the Bible tells us. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody kind of struggle with evangelism? Hmm. Why? Why do we struggle with it? It's hard. People think we're weird. How, but we're not really, I mean, some people are good at that. Some people aren't. Um, there's harvesters out there. Billy Graham probably was a harvester. Um, meaning harvest, you know, the getting the people to come in. Most of you are gardeners. You're just trying to help the disciple be a better disciple, help the one that's not a disciple maybe get a little closer. And now for a commercial message. Um, these cards are out there. This is an easy way to be a gardener. And it's practical because we really don't want to recycle the rest of those. I mean, we've got these. On one side, it says, An Account of Holy Week, Denison High School, FAC, Saturday, April 16th, 7 p.m. Just hand them a card. Invite them. Well, they may not come. Well, they got a better shot if you give them a card. On the other side, Easter Sunday, April 17th, 8.45 to 10.30. This is easy, right? Give it to somebody. I mean, see how many people you can annoy today. Even gives their address. But, you know, if I get ready to go to lunch and there's still cards out there. I'm coming to your house. No, I probably won't do that. Unless you're watching the game, then we can read the Bible. How would that be fun? Yeah, but it's an easy way to do it. I mean, what does it tell us? Know in your heart that Christ is Lord and that you do not have eternal punishment as something to worry about. And always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Think about that. It's why God has been in showers. So you can think about those things. What else are you going to do? You know? Rinse, repeat? Ah, how hard is that? Think about what would I say if this person asked me about Jesus? And then pray for God to give you something. I mean, you're gardeners, most of us are. Don't, don't worry about that so much. How, you know, be ready. That's kind of what we're supposed to do. But you see this is an attribute, this holiness of, of Jesus. Therefore, repent. He's the one that's going to come. He's, he's, it, Yahweh is not different than Jesus. It's, you know, Jesus is not all of Yahweh, but he's one of the persons of Yahweh. In Revelation 2, he says, Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus will come the second time for judgment. Read Revelation 19. It's going to happen just as sure as the first one. And I want y'all, in fact, all y'all, to say Hosanna when he comes. You know, not, uh-oh. <laughs> no, we don't want no uh-oh stuff going on. And I don't think you want your neighbor saying uh-oh either. So, give him a card. You know, pick a card, any card. Oh, this one. So, our sins is the last thing. And he does save us from our sins. These moral violations that are primarily against God and his character that separate us from him. In Psalm 51, after uh, David royally screwed up, um, adultery and murder all in one swell foop, um, he says this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He did need to reconcile with Bathsheba. I suppose he tried to reconcile with Uriah's family but really he had to reconcile with God. 
For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the power of the evil age, according to the will of the Father. He himself bore our sins. Is it clear? He bore our sins because we couldn't save ourselves. So Jesus pays for the sins of those who follow him, and they get his perfect righteousness, which is kind of a nice exchange, isn't it? That's what this is all about. That's what Jesus came in. That's what he's setting up here. So remember, these three aren't mutually exclusive. Christian salvation through Christ means one who trusts in, submits to, and makes primary Jesus in their life and avoids God's just wrath by having the effects of their sin removed, receiving everlasting life with him. That's pretty good. Sometimes you hit it. That's pretty good. It's in your outline, you know. It's kind of a summation of what we get. And most of you know this, but boy, we need to be reminded of this stuff over and over. So the crowd in Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, they said the right words, but they didn't really truly understand their primary meaning. And what we want to do as a church and as a people is make sure they understand the primary meaning. It may not be popular, but that's not what we're here for. It'd be nice if it was popular, but sometimes it's not. That God's salvation through Christ is not primarily about being saved from temporal things, enemies, political oppression, whatever it is, but being saved from spiritual death and being saved for eternal life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. It's a nice line. So 21st century disciples, which uh, hopefully most of you are, we must not trivialize his grace, his salvation. We should understand and proclaim what Jesus truly saves us from. Whether it's popular or not, always be prepared. And sometimes it's just as easy as handing somebody something and let Jesus take them by the hand and change their heart. Let us pray. Father, as we continue this week of preparation for the cross, as we remember what you did uh, by sending your son and having obediently go and save us from our sins. We can ask lots of questions why it had to be that way, but we know it's all about your perfect salvation, your perfect plan. Uh, may we just live into it, be thankful for what you give us. Give us a heart that wants to know your word, be your people, and love you always. Amen.